0: With her whole realms, nature mine. And we're an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine. Demands my soul, my life, my all. What price do you put on God's love? And we've been looking at that for the last few weeks and we're going to continue our series. And our series is quite simple, isn't it? How do we, how do we do the mandate Jesus set for us? Go you into all the world, make disciples, baptising them and teaching them to do everything that I have commanded you to do. And last week we started to look at how we become a disciple because if love is so amazing, it demands my soul, my life, my all, then there's a commitment in following Jesus. And that there's a real sacrifice in following Jesus. And we need to, before we make disciples, be disciples. How do we make disciples? And last week we started to look at how we become a disciple and, and how we make other disciples and remember it's all about following Jesus. I often say when someone says, are you a Christian? I'll say, no, I'm a follower of Jesus. I think there's a great big difference. I'm a follower of Jesus. And, and I not. I told you last week that when I first became a follower of Jesus, my mother made me tell my brother-in-law, and I immediately ran out of the, out of the room and straight into my bedroom. I, I was not prepared to, to publicly confess Jesus at that time. I was happy I was born again, but you know, to stand in front of my brother-in-law, and um, we looked at that last week, at, at how we become disciples of Jesus. You see, there was a a young guy and he just would not come to know Jesus. He wouldn't come to know Jesus. And when his pastor asked him, why would he not follow Jesus? He says, because you're going to make me publicly declare to everybody that I have to tell someone every day about following Jesus. And he said, "I, I just can't do that. I just can't do it. And he was getting stressed out. And one day, the pastor said to him, listen, you don't. You don't. You don't have to tell everybody about your following Jesus. You don't have to do that at all. He so said, just go home and invite Jesus into your life. You don't have to run down and do anything. And so he went home. And he thought about it and he said, okay, I don't have to tell anyone. And he invited Jesus into his life and he just got so happy. He ran downstairs to where his parents and his friends were and shouted, you're going to believe it. I'm now a follower of Jesus and I don't have to tell anyone. But you you know, we we can get stressed out over this. You see, Martha, this is a lovely um, magazine I read. Martha, with her hard work, was in the kitchen. Mary, who irritated her sister by sitting at the feet of Jesus and apparently doing nothing. They were just simply two people of different temperaments. But according to the medieval theologians, this represented two types of Christian life. Martha represents the active life committed to good works, but Mary the contemplative life submitted to prayer and meditation. The Martha and Mary schools of thought have often been rivaled with each other down the centuries as to which was the highest form of Christianity. But one wise old preacher had the last word on the subject. When he preached on the visit of Jesus, on the Bethany visit of Jesus, he said this, Jesus said, I love both Martha and Mary. I love Martha before dinner and Mary after. And I thought that is just a wonderful illustration because you are different to me and I am different to you. We have all been created uniquely by God. Not one of you sitting here is exactly the same in temperament and looks and in everything. Our God is an amazing God. He created everyone uniquely. Why then do we have to want to be like someone else? And I bet we've all done it. We've all dreamt of being someone, haven't we? all dreamt of being Madonna and I thought it would be great to be Madonna and then I thought no that's not possible but listen uh, in all seriousness we've all dreamt we've all dreamt about being at Wembley scoring that winning goal well not far from Rob Uh, but listen we've all dreamt haven't we what must it be like to be someone else and God is saying do you know that is the problem with us be yourself when God made you He threw away the mold, and that's not a joke. That's saying, I'm satisfied with what I've made. If you look in the mirror, it doesn't matter how anybody else thinks of you, you can look in the mirror and say, God is happy with what he sees. That's how he made you. That's how he made you. And I know sometimes we've destroyed it, sometimes we not looking at anyone, we've eaten too much and we're a bit, you know, we're a bit uh, beer. I'm, I'm, she's in the back room so I can say this in secret. In secret. Put a dress on the other day. Not me, put a dress on the other day and said, how do you think I looked? I was in a dilemma. <laughs> if I say what I want to say. So, but if I say what I want to say and not say what I wanted to say because what I wanted to say wouldn't be what she'd want me to say so therefore what I wanted to say didn't come out. So so, so basically I just tried, I tried to side the issue, I tried to side the issue. But you know we all want to be something at times when God is saying I love you just the way you are because I created you just the way you are. And I want you to know that I didn't birth everybody to be a great evangelist. I didn't birth everyone to be a great musician. I didn't birth everyone to be, I'll just say a pastor, to be a pastor. I birthed you and planned you and I have a work for you. That's yours. That's uniquely for you. And when we become followers of Jesus we can be pressurised into doing sometimes things that really God has not ready for us to do or even called us to do. So is there any similarities then for all of us to find out how we follow Jesus? Do we all have to go on our own path now since we're all unique Or is there something we can hang on to that actually generates something in all of us that helps all of us as a family here to become followers of Jesus? And Paul says, yes. There's a few things I want to say this morning, just a few. First of all, he says, listen, every one of you had a new birth. You all had a new birth. When you ask Jesus Christ into your heart, and you confessed your sin with your mouth. Jesus came into your life. And he comes in the same way to everyone. By repentance. And you and I ask Jesus to forgive us for our sin. And we then say Lord from today on we will follow you. Have you heard those words? Because some people think they come to Jesus have their sin forgiven and that's the end of the story. No that's the beginning of the story we then follow Jesus wherever Jesus wants to take us. And we all have that similarity. So we're all babies. And Paul says, are we a milkman or are we meatman? In other words, there comes a time when that baby, which is so dependent, grows up. And there's a word that we often use in network course, and I know Eunice knows it, Interdependence. In other words, I grow up to become dependent on myself, but yet there's still an interdependence that I need from you people. The family of God, in order to become followers of Jesus, need to grow spiritually so we're no longer milkmen, but that we are meat people. That we grow, and the way we grow is that we become interdependent on one another. We learn from one another, we have love and fellowship with one another, we grow with one another, and yet we are still depending on the things that we do. And I hope that's making sense, it is those two things. God never called a single Christian to be a solo. He called us to be in a family where we can grow, where we can mature, where we can be helped. Remember James Bond? What's Bond? He's briefed, he's trained, he's resourced, and he's supported And we need to be briefed, trained, resourced and supported. So the good news is this. All of us at one time became babies in Christ. My big question though is, are we still a baby? Or have we developed? And are we learning to follow Jesus? That some of the things that we once used to do have dropped. Some things we've learned what to do in our lives. You see, James warns us this. The enemy comes in and tempts our desires. Instead of wanting what God has for us, we are attracted to the things that throw us off track. It is why Jesus had to ensure the disciples that to become a follower of Jesus was the second thing I want to talk about, which is everybody's uniqueness, and it's this. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. One, we all become babies. We all make the same decision to surrender our lives to Jesus Christ. But the second thing we have in common is that we all need to grow together, this interdependence, we know to grow together, love one another, and I said the F's, food, faith, fun and fellowship. Those things are very important to help us grow. And the third thing we need to understand is that we no longer decide Our own futures Seek ye First What God wants Then All of these things Shall be added Unto You What is the kingdom then What kingdom are you talking about God? And God says in Matthew six thirty three, The kingdom of God Is love Joy, peace. God says the kingdom of God is made up of my amazing love, my joy, my peace, and those fruits of the spirit. And that God has a future for us. God has a peace for us. We as born again Christians should know the peace of God. We should know it. It should not be something we're struggling with. We should know that the moment we accepted Jesus into our hearts, we have peace with God. Therefore, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Paul says... I am committed and persuaded that he, that's God, is able to keep those things that I've committed unto him against that day. Paul says, that's what I'm committed to. That's what I believe because I have peace with God. I believe that God has committed his life to me. What does Romans 8 say? Is there anything that can separate us from the love of God? What did Eunice read this morning? About being in that family of God, bowing that knee to the Father in whom, and this is what it said, in whom the whole earth and heaven has been created. Bowing our knee to the Father, knowing his love. What happens when we know his love? It says when we know his length, breadth, height, and depth of his love. This is what happens. It said we're able to believe that God is able to do the impossible. And he is able to do abundantly. More than I can think of us. It's not a saying. It's something we believe. It's something that is just in here. That we believe. God is able. Not that he will. But that he is able to do. Abundantly more. Than we can think of us. You see these things are very valuable to us. Unless we know the love of God. Unless we know the joy of knowing that your future, Anna, is secure in Christ. And that when that trumpet calls, you're going home with Jesus. That's the joy, Paul says, that's set before me. Paul says it's not joy in a home and I'm going to have a good day tomorrow. Because he was in chains. He was in a prison. He said the joy that's beset before me is the coming again of Jesus. And up to then, Paul says, I'm going to just carry on doing what I've been called to do. Read Philippians chapter 3. Read Philippians chapter 3. Paul is saying, I can be at rest in prison. Why? Because I know I'm doing the kingdom of God. Andy Stanley said this, are you happy that at the end of your day, the end of your day, If all you've done is what God has called you to do, would that be sufficient? I wonder. Because we're all striving after things. We're all striving after things. And Paul is saying he knew the joy of his salvation. He knew joy. Not a worldly joy, but a joy in the sense of knowing who he belonged to, where he was going. And was committed to seeking out. And I want to finish. Because I think the times is, we do not want God's will. We want ours. Some of you may know what's happening in the next few months with me. And I'll be openly honest I'm not, I told God what I want, I told Him what I want. Someone actually texted me and said, and said something to me the other day. He said, you might want to weigh this up. And so I, uh, I did weigh it up. I, and the gist of it was that God is in control. That God is in control. Edward, you're panicking over the next few months because you keep saying this is what you want to do. But God is saying, I'm in control. Is he the master of your life? Is Jesus Christ the one who's directing the pace of your life? Because to become a follower of Jesus is to actually submit your whole total life to him, allowing him to make directions in your life that sometimes you just may not want to happen. And I can guarantee probably things are going to happen in my life the next few months, that I do not want to happen. But what do I do? Do I believe God's in control and therefore act on that? Or do I persist? And trying to manipulate, trying to manipulate my own way of life. And I've done it many a time, trying to manipulate my own way of life. The only thing I never did was take up golf because when I worked once upon a time in order Jeff to be Promoted, you had to play golf. Everything was done on the golf course. Seriously, but I can't hit a golf ball to save my life. And I see no pleasure in hitting a ball 100 yards to drop into a little hole. I'm sorry that doesn't turn me on at all. That's, I know for some of you it does. My, my boss in Reading, who I work for, he goes nowhere, nowhere, unless there's a set of golf clubs in the boot. Just matter about suitcases as long as the golf course is in. I don't get hung up on that. What I'm trying to say though is listen, I didn't have to worry about being promoted if I believed God was in control. Seriously. I didn't have to worry whether I was on that golf course or not because if God wanted me to be somewhere are we getting this this morning? We are stressed out in life we seriously, we're stressed out, like not because we're not born again, it's because we're not allowing our following of Jesus to dictate our paths. I know the plans that I have for you, I know them, and listen, Julie. He then says, I not only know the plans that have you, but they're for your good, they're for your best, they're for your welfare. In other words, God's saying, Julie, if you hand your life over to me and let me take control, I know plans for you, I'll guarantee they're the best plans you can have. And I want to carry on and finish with this guy. He said to, God said to him one night, what do you want? And he said, I'll tell you what I want, God. He said, I want wisdom. And God says, great, I'll give you riches as well, but I'll give you wisdom. And yet how sad was his life? He writes in the book of Ecclesiastes, life is useless, life is vanity, life is worthless. This is a man who's been given wisdom that no other human being is ever going to have. Imagine it. Imagine Sarah being woken up by God. He's not a genie, but he says, Sarah, I'm going to give you anything you want. Now, I'm not asking you, you need to think about it. What, What would it have been? For Solomon, it was give me wisdom. And yet, how can a man a few years later say that his whole life was empty and worthless? Think about it. So I'm going to leave you with this. Solomon built the most magnificent house you could ever have that was called the temple. It took 10 years to build. It cost millions in today's. It was the finest building in the whole of the Middle East. This huge, beautiful temple. He then built many houses for himself. So he thought, I'm going to make sure I live in a huge mansion. Because that make me happy. So he bought a 150 bedroom house. Just for himself. Home alone. And basically he bought houses and houses and houses and built them. And then he thought, you know what would make me happy? A woman. And silence is golden. But he said he thought a woman would make him happy, so he took a thousand of them. A thousand. And he had to house them all, so he had to build bigger houses. Still wasn't happy. He said, I haven't found it. Read the book of Ecclesiastes. He said, I haven't found it in my houses. I haven't found it in buildings. I haven't found it. He said in the relationship. He had thousands of servants. He had singers when he went for lunch and just sat there and sang for him. He had the most amazing selection of food on his table every day, read it. I don't know how he got through it. It must have been huge. This food was provided every day. He had luxury beyond luxury and food, luxury apartments, many women. And he still, still, still searched for the meaning of life. He was going on his own track. He decided that he would investigate. This is what his words were. I am going to investigate everything there is in life to find its purpose. When his purpose was right next door to him, seek ye first the kingdom of God. But he decided that he would discover what life was going to be like. And so he did a research into botany. Do you know there's no one looked at plants and stuff like this more than Solomon? He knew them all. He, was, he went out and he did an agriculture. Botany, agriculture. He went out and he made silver count as nothing. If you had silver, that was nothing. Gold, abundant. He had the most precious. Clothes and the most expensive jewelry. He was famous. People came from all over the world to bring him expensive gifts. The Queen of Sheba came for thousands of miles. And yet he wrote a book in the Bible called Ecclesiastes. The problem was he had left God. And if God is not dictating your life, I'll guarantee you, you will never have the success or the joy of peace of following Jesus until you follow Jesus all the way down the line. And I'm going to tell you right now, it's going to cost you. And the first thing Jesus said to his disciples as I wrap this up is take up your cross and follow me. God does not, and let me repeat this, and it may be not like what I'm saying this morning, but God does not call you to a life of riches, nor does He record your life full of health, nor does He record you a life of anything except this that Jesus will walk your path every step of the journey if you allow Him to. And He will bring you to the other side where there are pleasures forevermore. God is saying, if you're hoping that coming to Jesus is going to make you rich, don't come. If you're hoping that Jesus is going to make you the most successful business person in the world, don't come. But if you want someone to come into your life, who will work your life through, who will be in every situation that you will ever face in life, who was promised your plans are for your good and for your welfare, it was promised to you that this life is temporary and it's not one to be held on to because the life is yet to come. Solomon finally came to this conclusion as I do a final, final, final. I want you to know what Solomon said, please. He said the whole purpose in life for man is to fear God and keep his commandments. And I say that again, I've done an investigation into buildings and I've built the most magnificent buildings. I've done an investigation into love and intimacy and had a thousand wives. I've done an investigation into botany, into plants and all of this. I've done agriculture, but you know what, the whole of my life is meaningless. Because my purpose in life was to fear God and keep His commandments. Wow. He says in Ecclesiastes 12 remember the Creator in the days of your youth. Remember that life without God is meaningless. The modern translation is this. You can make no sense of life without God. Life doesn't make sense. I'll tell you why as so I really finished. As I went to see Heather yesterday, this frail 92-year-old woman, at the moment she still recognises me, but I sit for 40 minutes with her, telling her the same thing for 40 minutes. I leave that room and come back to that room and she hasn't even remembered I've been there. She's skin and bones. I can remember though her five years ago was a lovely woman. I don't make sense of life, to you? I don't make sense when well, my father, a 35-year-old, died of cancer and was rotten through with cancer. I don't I don't understand life. I don't understand why I had to lose my job and leave Sunderland and, and move. I don't understand it. Without well, oh God, life doesn't make sense to me. But with God. Life at times still doesn't make sense to me, but I know not what my future holds, but I know who holds my future, because he is in control, God bless you.